Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Hi! Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. All right, so before we jump into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Flobo Boyce. What a fantastic guest, and what a pleasure to have him on the show. If you've not had a chance to hear our in-depth interview, I strongly encourage you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 164, and we have a fantastic episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Rebecca Lee. Rebecca is an established Hollywood actress and the host of the popular podcast, How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back?, We discuss how she got into acting, some of her most popular roles, her very successful podcast, and so much more. Now, Rebecca was a breath of fresh air on the show and a pure joy to speak with. Lots to cover, so let's get her out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, calling in today from Los Angeles, California, Rebecca Lee. Rebecca, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How was the weather out by you today? It's actually really nice for once. Uh, Not for once. I live in L.A. What am I (laughs) fucking talking about? It's just been really cold and rainy, but today it's not. So nice. good. So I start my interviews off the same way, and that is how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 world so far? Yeah, not good. (laughs) As, you know, an actor and a comedian, just a performer in general, having that taken away was pretty detrimental to me and it sounds like a lot of my peers too but more so than that I found coming out of COVID harder or quarantine or whatever you want to call it um that time I found that harder than quarantine and COVID itself like my 2020 the latter half of 2021 and 2022 sucked like really bad and I think it's because this is my theory all of us didn't have a choice but to like be introspective for like a year plus. And I think a lot of us like grew and changed or like realized things about ourselves we didn't realize before. We, you know, cohabitated with uh, a partner or a roommate or we were by ourselves. And I think that changed us who we were. And then once we came out of it, it's like, okay, how do we take this new version of ourselves out into the world and uh, interact with each other. And I, for one, changed a whole lot. Um, and so, yeah, learning how to adapt with like the new version of me post-COVID has been tricky. Um, I will say that. You know, it's funny. My wife says something very similar. She said, when we came out of quarantine and things started getting, if you want to call it back to normal, mm-hmm. it's kind of like we forgot how to talk to each other. You yeah. know, everyone is very sharp, very abrasive, but mm-hmm. it's like we've, we've kind of forgotten how to communicate and co-mingle as a society. That's my that's that's my take anyway. I think so, too. And it feels like it's stretching in like every industry, whether it's like, you know, the servers who are taking care of you at night or the customers who are attending, you know, the restaurant or whatever. It's it's 
it's everybody. Everybody seems a little irritated and on edge. Uh, and I, I really hope we can get back to a place where we're not, you know, jumping down each other's throats. I 100% agree. So every journey has a beginning. Uh, where were you born? I was born in Miami, Florida. Nice. You ever go back there often? I do. I go back a couple times a year. I was born in Miami, um, but I grew up mostly in Jacksonville, Florida. So border of Florida and Georgia, technically, I'll call it the South. Very different from Miami. And I spent most of my childhood and adolescence uh, in Jacksonville. I graduated high school. I went to University of Florida for three years. I got my business degree, actually, um, mm -hmm. in three years because I really hated it. Uh, <laughs> I am not a college gal. I, it was a very big school. Um, I chose it because I was getting a scholarship, so I got to go for free I, I probably wouldn't have chosen that uh, particular school. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I'm not, I don't like sports and I don't like a uh, Greek life, like sorority and maternity stuff. So that's pretty much, well, I don't like it. I just, I don't, I'm a loner. I'm an introvert. I like being alone. And so that really wasn't my, uh, my sphere. So I graduated a year early. So it is my understanding that you had to overcome uh, a kind of a, a rough childhood in a form of a parent who had a number of, of mental illnesses. How do you manage your own mental health during that period? I didn't. Um, I think growing up, I, I was in, I'm lucky enough to have a wonderful mother and a wonderful sister. And all of that, I think, made us even closer as like a family unit. But my dad has narcissistic personality disorder. My mom was a co like a codependent, textbook codependent. And you know, because of that, I became a codependent um, as an adult. But as a child, you don't develop self-trust because you have a parent telling you what to do and how to think and how to feel. Because if you don't do those things, that person will uh, withhold love from you. So you're constantly um, just doing what they say, essentially, so that you get love, you get that reassurance that kids need from parents. That left me with an inability to trust my own decisions or even to really know what I liked. It took me a really long time to figure out not only like my hobbies and stuff, but career stuff, everything, because I was so, I don't want to say brainwashed. That's pretty intense. But I was, I was trying to make this other person happy for my safety as a child, not physical safety, but emotional well-being. So it was rough. And, you know, I went into therapy, you know, later on in life and after college even, but I, I didn't have like a, a good support system or a group of friends who really valued mental health until I moved to Los Angeles. And that's sort of when I really got on track with my mental health. But yeah, growing up, it was definitely challenging. I, I can't imagine what that was like. Obviously, I, I didn't have the same, you know, raising as you did. But uh, I, the fact that you made it out of there intact, I mean, mm. that's that's saying something right there. That's, that's <laughs> Yeah, know. well, 12-step programs also help. <laughs> Uh, moving up, what are your favorite memories from the Denver Center of Performing Arts? Oh, that's a great question. I had like one of my first on-camera classes there, and it was uh, I had two teachers. They were like co-teaching the class, and it's not like a super big memory, but it stands out in my mind because it was really the first time that I saw myself on camera, which now it's like you know I'm so used to it. It happens all the time, and I guess. For a lot of people, it does now because of like selfies and TikTok and Instagram and all of that stuff. But, you know, we had at that time we had Instagram, but it was definitely new. And so a lot of people weren't used to like seeing themselves on a screen like we are now. And so it was really the first time that I was like, oh, my God, is that what I look like? Is that what I sound like? Do I, t I talk like that? And like there's definitely hurdles to overcome when you see yourself on camera for the first time, kind of like overcoming those like oh my God, I wish that looked like that or my teeth were wider or whatever, whatever the thing is. But I just remember loving it so much after you get past that first little hurdle of like, do I sound like that? Uh, and then just, you know, falling in love with the art of acting and the craft of like make-believe. So not a, not a monumental memory, but something that like stands out in my mind when I like picture in my head the trajectory of my like life and career. Speaking of trajectory, you know, at what point in your life did you decide being a professional actor is the right path for you? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I so I was living in Colorado. I graduated high, high school, I graduated college early, 
And so me and my boyfriend at the time uh, moved to Denver, Colorado for no reason other than like it seemed like a cool place and neither one of us really knew what we wanted to do. So that's where you moved, Denver. Um, and I started taking classes there, the Denver Center of Performing Arts, another uh, in another school as well. Um, and my teacher at the other school, his name's Benji, he's incredible. Um, he was like, I think you might want to consider this as a career. And I was like, what? No, what? This is fun for me. And he's like, no, I think you need to move to either New York or Los Angeles because like you're putting a lot of time and attention into this. And that was sort of combined with I had a I had a day job at the time and it was probably the best day job you could have. It was at a startup company at the time. It was called Craftsy. They sold uh, them they're something else now. I don't know what, but it was um, essentially like really good YouTube videos teaching people how to like knit, quilt, sew, everything in the crafting world. Um, but it was very high quality with like multiple sound stages and three camera setups and uh, live switchers and things like that. So it was like really high quality stuff. Um, and it was a startup. It was really cool. It was kind of like a mini Google. Like we had like a meditation room. Um, yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. It was like yeah. all of the sort of like tropey things you think of when you think of like a startup company, but smaller and in Colorado. So it was the best day job I could ever have. Uh, but I had a panic attack at my desk um, and I had to like run out to my car and I was just crying because I can't do this. I can't sit here. This is not where my heart is. Um, and so that combined with Benji being like, I think you need to consider the coasts um, that sort of propelled me to move to Los Angeles. How hard was it for you to break into the business? It's hard. It's still hard. It's hard every day. I talk about I talked about this on my podcast with um, my friend Ego. She's um, on SNL. I talked to her yesterday for an episode, and we were both talking about how she was saying, like, no matter what place you're at in your career, you always are like, yeah, but I don't have the next thing. But what about the next thing? And she's like, I even feel that way, and I'm on SNL. <laughs> and she's like, and it's 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 wild because um. I think we constantly want more. And I can only speak from my experience in being in entertainment specifically, but I do think it's probably other industries as well. Um, but it's like, especially in our industry, it's like when it rains, it pours. When you have jobs, you have a lot of jobs. When you don't have any jobs, you have zero jobs. And it's it's not easy to get used to. I'm not used to it. It's a lot of high highs and low lows. And I'm sure people have said this many, many times before, but you have to really love the thing to keep going because I, I mean, even me now I consider quitting like, you know, once every couple of months, I'm like, do I, this is really hard. You don't have consistent paychecks. Um, and at the end of the day, you just kind of have to go back to like what your core values are and where you feel best. And that'll be, for me, it'll always be in some form of art and entertainment, um, whether it's act directing or producing um, or writing. It's always going to be there because that's that's kind of where my heart is. But I also heard someone say the people who make it are the people who are too stupid enough to quit. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I never yeah. heard that before. I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm that. I'm not. I'm too stupid to quit. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um... My, I told my listeners you're going to come on the show, and I asked them to submit some questions. And we got some really good ones. We got some really crazy ones. So I chose <laughs> the best of them. And the first question is, uh, do you remember your first paid acting role? Oh, my gosh. It, it had to have been a student film in Colorado. Um, I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure it was like 50 bucks a day um, or something, you know, something really small like that. Uh, but it was definitely through a film school in Colorado. Um, and I don't remember what it's called. I don't remember what it was or what it was called. I don't know where it is. I'm sure it's somewhere, which is horrifying to me. Uh, cause it's probably really, really I know it's not probably it's really, Oh, you know what? <laughs> it was like, Oh, I remember what it was now. It was like a, it was a short 
But essentially, it was just like me locked in like a basement or something trying to get out like very like saw-esque. And it was just like different angles of me and like trying to saw off this like chain that was on my foot. It was like some thriller thing. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I remember auditioning for it in like the conference room of this uh, student's apartment building or whatever and being like, all right, here we go. Here's my 50 bucks. Let's do it. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 really nice, actually, to be in a city like uh, Colorado has a great film. Denver has a great film school. And obviously, Los Angeles does and New York does, too. And it's really uh, for aspiring actors. It's a really good place to start because it's such small stakes. Not to say that student films are small stakes, but like in the grand scheme of like professional work, it's small stakes. But you still can put all of your skills that you've learned, you know, to test, whether that's like breaking down a script, uh, on how, how you behave on camera, all of that. Uh, and so it's a, I'd highly, highly recommend checking out your local film school and, um, seeing if they have open auditions or anything like that. There have been films and TV, most notably off the top of my head, La La Land and Barry that showcase the brutality of auditioning. As an actress, what do you do to prepare for an audition? That's a great question. Um, I, it kind of depends. I, it depends on if it's a commercial or if it's theatrical. If it's theatrical, it depends on if it's comedy or drama. It's usually comedy. I do a lot of comedy. I read the script. I, or the sides, they're called sides when you have auditions. They're usually three, three different scenes, at least for first round auditions. There's usually three different scenes from the episode that you're auditioning for. And it's usually different um, emotional states. And if you kind of piece it together, it's usually you're heightening an emotion in some way, shape or form. I mean, but nowadays everything's self-tape, which is also wild because I'm so used to going in for auditions, which I prefer because I'm I'm really good in a room. Like I'm personable. I'm happy. I love talking to people. But at home, you have kind of unlimited time to just like do a take after take after take. And you could you could be in your studio or wherever you're recording for like hours on the self-tape. Whereas if you were gonna just go in, it's like an hour out of your day and then you move on to the next thing. I think it's really easy to be like stingy about like what takes you use. And I, I don't think it's that great because then when you get on set, it's like you might hire someone who it took them a hundred takes to get that take that they submitted to you. And now you're they're on set and they, they can't do it instantaneously. Like if you had someone come into a room and do it in front of you. So I do think it's to a detriment, but now that I have uh self tapes, I, like I said, I go through, I memorize, I memorize by rote. Um, I don't memorize with any inflections. It's really, really hard if I memorize with inflections to change any word. So if someone on set, one of the writers on set decides to change a word, it's hard for me to be able to memorize this new pattern, this new phrasing, if I memorized it with inflections. So I try to memorize very like robotic by rote. Once I have that down, I'll go in and break down the script, kind of your classic like objectives, obstacles, superlatives, if there's any sort of like ailment, if I'm drunk in the scene, how am I going to do that? I go in and annotate everything um, and then practice, practice, practice. And then I have a st studio in my house that's set up with like lights and sound equipment and I record it and I send it off and then I say bye and I move on to the next thing. And I don't wait around for an answer because uh, you'll be waiting forever. You, you don't get no's in LA, you get silence. Ah, So I've read you have a background in improv. What do you enjoy most about doing that? I feel like there's no pressure, which sounds pretty crazy because you have no script. There's no lines. You, The form that I do is usually you get a word from the audience and you improvise, you make up scenes. It's like for people who don't know what, you know, if you've never seen an improv show, you'll get a suggestion from the audience and then you'll have little scenes, basically like little mini plays based on that word. and you have the freedom to like be whoever you want, do whatever you want that you don't get when you're doing a scripted piece. Uh, you're, you know, beholden to the way the writer wants you to say it, the way the director wants you to act it. Um, and there's not a lot of creative control in acting itself. You're not in control of the edit. 
Um, you really don't have a lot of room, in my opinion, to like be super creative. But with improv, you're your own director, you're your own editor, you're you're doing it all. So you get to make all the decisions, which I'm much more comfortable in that sort of role than in the role where someone is telling me what to do. I just it stretches me creatively a lot more. So I love just the freedom to do and be whoever I want to be in the moment. That's awesome. Now, you directed a short film, I Messed Up. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell my listeners about it and how hard was it for you to make? I make a ton of little short shorts or scenes or truly just anything. I'm working on a new one right now about an alien. It's not uh, a comedy. It's heavy drama. Um, but I'm constantly making things because if I don't, I will lose my mind. I need an outlet. I need a creative outlet. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard, but it's easier than you might think in Los Angeles because you're surrounded by like-minded people who all kind of have the same dreams. And so if you want to find a director, a writer, an editor, you're, you're really able to find it by either asking your peers for recommendations. There's so many Facebook groups where you can post, be like, this is the rate, this is what I need. So it does take someone who's like very organized and is able to like put in the initial legwork to make something. Also a budget uh, doesn't hurt. I've made things for $0. I've made things for $10,000, which is still very small in the grand scheme of things. But I think it's really important to learn that just in general as a filmmaker, because it's like, you're going to use it. It's a skill you're going to use at some point. So yeah, I mean, it's hard in some ways, but it's easier in other ways. Um, that's not really a great answer, but that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of the truth. I think the hardest thing is just, um, making the decision to do it. I think that is the way harder than finding your crew, your actors shooting the actual thing. Once you start to shoot, it's just fun at that point. Um, you already have all your equipment rented, but it's just making that initial decision like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. This next fan question uh, here is, is out of office as much fun to make as it is to watch? 1000%. That's probably the most fun I've ever had on set. Paul, who's who directed it, he's Toby from The Office, if, you, if you've ever watched that before, he wrote it and directed it. He obviously is, loves improv. Uh, so a, lo a lot of the stuff didn't even make it. I know you hear actors say this all the time, like the funniest stuff didn't make it into the actual film, but it's true. It's like the funniest stuff isn't always in line with the story itself. Um, but he would always be like, yeah, feel free to improvise as much as you want. And I've worked with Ken actually twice now. I wrote for his New Year's Eve, him and Joel McHale have a New Year's Eve um, special called like, The Roast and Toast. And I wrote on it going into from 2021 going into 2022, they canceled it like three days before because of COVID. Um, and I think other shows went on, but Fox didn't. And so I had already worked with Ken before. So we already had a rapport, which made things like a lot easier too. Um, but you know, my, my scenes in it are, uh, of sexual, they're pretty sexual in, uh, and what they are. And so it was really nice to sit down with Ken. Ken's the fucking best. He truly is the best and be able to be like, okay, what are things we're comfortable with? What are things we're not comfortable with? And have Paul come in and like, as like a team decide together, we had, um, oh my God, I can't remember what they're called now, but they're the people who, oh, intimacy coordinator. We had oh, an yeah. intimacy coordinator and we all sat around and did our do's, our don'ts, um, maybes. And we did that every day that we were working because sometimes um, it changes. Maybe, maybe yesterday I was okay with something that I'm not okay with today. And so we did that every morning. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was a blast. And everybody on that cast is amazing. Like Jay is so funny. Milan is funny. Emily, who I know through uh, improv here, is so great. I mean, it's just a fucking talented group. So yeah, it was really, 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 really fun. That's like like catching lightning in a bottle. We can get that many talented I people know. in the same room at the same time. That's it's that's nuts. amazing. It's nuts. Okay, Deval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Rebecca Lee. Message that you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right. Cluzo style. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show and we will be right back. 
Welcome to Wine Chats with Bildo and Lindalyn. My name is Billy Milovanovich, aka Bildo. My name is Lindsay Kirkwood, also known as Lindalyn. And this is our offensively funny podcast about drinking wine and chatting life. Some of our previous topics include conspiracy theories. I know somebody that thinks the world's flat. What? Like a real person? Yes. Body ailments. I'm going to go from toes up because I have a lot. <laughs> no, seriously, you laugh, but I have so many body this is what ailments. what happens with age, guys. And I know. And orgasms. I'm a little bit frustrated and it just hasn't been happening. I, I'm i trying, Henry's trying, we're all trying, but when orgasming is good, it's good. Basically, we talk about all the things that you would generally talk about over wine with your girlfriends. New episodes out each Monday. Chat, Chat soon. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward, I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek DeBall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Did you not think that insane would change the plans that we have made? I guess it's hard to hear a heartbreak 600 miles away. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, 
and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Welcome back to episode 164 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with actress and the host of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back, Rebecca Lee. All right, so I'm going to have a move on to a kind of a heavier question, and that is, as a woman in the entertainment industry, in your opinion, how far has Me Too movement come? Hmm. You know, I'm one of the people who are lucky enough to not have experienced any sort of um, trauma related to my career and being in the industry. I think it's, I think it's probably rare. Um, I'll say all of my, the hard shit that I've been through in terms of like harassment has all happened to like not on set. It's just been in my like daily life. Um, but I do think that, again, it kind of is what I said before about, I mean, it's a different topic, but the hardest step is the first step. And I really think that the, like, the women who were able to use their voice and felt safe too, because I think that's really challenging. Uh, I mean, I was in a, a abusive relationship years back and I still haven't like, quote unquote, outed the person who abused me. I it, It's like, I don't feel safe to. So people don't realize, um, you know, I've, 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 I've heard people go, well, why didn't they say it? Why didn't they say it? You know, when it happened, why did they wait for a year, five years, 10 years later? It's like, because I don't feel safe. I think that's something that people need to remember when people are, when women are, are coming out later on saying these things happened. Um, I think we need to believe women. I think we've come a long way. I still think we have a ways to go, especially when it comes to women of color and just people of color in general. Uh, I think there's a long way to go in terms of um, representation in that way, but also just protection uh, from any type of harassment. So yeah, I think we've we've definitely made some strides. I think we have a long way to go. And I actually think having more women on sets is like the very first thing that should be done. Um, I have worked with both male and female directors, and I will say there's a huge difference in in what I've experienced, at least. I feel very safe and taken care of um, when I work with a, a female director. Not to say that I don't with a male, but it's totally different. We are stopping to make sure everybody's okay. Is everybody comfortable? Um, and you honestly get better performances that way when people are comfortable, but... Yeah, I think the first step and even going further with Me Too stuff is making sure we have women on sets. Hmm. And that goes for crew, not just cast. Right. So I've been very public with my struggles with sobriety. Mm. And I hear we share a similar battle. Mm. How, how is your sobriety coming along? It's coming. Uh, it's coming. I will have a year in April. Um, so not super long. I was in a different program before for codependency, and that is what kind of brought me into program for sobriety. Um, I just felt like, and you know, I, this happened last year in 2022, um, my, my sobriety, but it, I, I felt like I wasn't making decisions that were in line with who I am as a person. I felt like I didn't have clarity around issues that I wanted clarity around. Um, you know, last year, my my marriage fell apart and I wanted clarity around that. I wanted to make sure I was making the right decision and alcohol just does not mix with me. If I have one, I'm going to have eight. And, and I, I told myself, you know, until I can um, be healthy about this, I, I can't do it. Uh, and so I don't know if it's going to be a forever thing one day at a time. Yeah. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. How, can do. how long do you have? Three years and two months. Congratulations. Thank That's you. Huge. Thank you. Thank you. So you feel I like your life has changed a lot because of that. Yeah. My, my, my friends, uh, my family, uh, I'm a lot nicer person than I was. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's yeah. great. 
So uh, I want to talk about your podcast. How yeah. the fuck did you get confident, which mo which morphed into how the fuck did you bounce back? Mm -hmm. First off, fun, clever titles. Thank you. You're welcome. How did the where did the inspiration come from to create these shows? I love talking about my podcast because it helps me so much and my mental health so much that I can I hope that it helps other people in their mental. It it came about uh, at the beginning of 2020 before COVID uh, was even a thing. I was just looking around and seeing my peers be so confident, especially in the comedy community. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what am I missing? Why am I not like that? They're confident on stage and off stage. I don't feel like that. So I started to ask my confident friends for coffee and I would just truly just pick their brain. Like, what type of therapy do you do? Do you like do yoga? Where's that? What studio is it? To just see if I could, you know, by osmosis, get some of their confidence. And then uh, COVID happened. So I could no longer have these coffee chats. So I decided that was when I was like, I'll just, you know, I'm going to make a podcast out of this because these have so far been very helpful for me. No one's no one uh, is out of their house right now. I certainly am not. So let's try to do this via Zoom. Uh, and that's how How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident came about. Um, and it just organically came to a close. And I'm kind of the type of person where if I'm no longer interested in, a, in the thing, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's not going to serve me. And it's not going to serve the audience. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to close this chapter. And if I feel so inclined, maybe I'll do a season two of confidence. Maybe it'll be a different topic or maybe it won't come back at all. I'm just going to let it happen organically. So when like, I don't know, like maybe a year in between. And I was like having a really hard time bouncing back from COVID. And I was wondering how everybody else was doing it. So I was like, it only seems, you know, fitting to do how the fuck did you bounce back? Because I would love some advice on this topic. So that's how that one came about. And yeah, now we're on season two and episodes every Thursday. Um, one of the last fan question here asked is, you know, who are some of your favorite guests that you've had on? Oh my God. That is so hard because mostly because my memory is not great. Um, so I'm going to have to try to remember. I've had truly like, I don't know, a hundred guests so far. Yesterday, I interviewed Ego from SNL. She was wonderful. Uh, Milana, who was in Out of Office, she is great. Um, oh, you know what? Jadea Kirsch is, I interviewed her. She was very early on in How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? She is the first Black rodeo queen of Arkansas. And we had a really great conversation about uh, representation in a given field. She was talking to me about, and also I didn't knew nothing about rodeo, but it was such an interesting space to me. Um, she was talking about, you know, I guess you have to wear your hair a certain way for these rodeo pageants. That's like part of the judging. There's like all these different criteria and your hair has to be a certain way. And Judea wanted to wear her natural hair, but she had no one to ask because she was the first. She had no mentor to be like, hey, is this okay? And it's like little things like that. And it, we really just talked about, um, also we talked a lot about gatekeeping and how hard it is for her to break into that um, that field and that industry. She since then has gone on to do like partnerships with Levi's and like really big companies. Um, but she's just such a hard worker and, we have such a long, long fucking way to go uh, with race in our in our country. I mean, such a long way to go. And it was a really great conversation about race, about representation, gatekeeping. Um, I yeah, go back and listen to it, Judea Kirsch. It's really, really great. In your time in the entertainment industry, what's the best piece of advice someone has given you? I want to, I really want to think about this because that's a really good question. I think it would probably be, and I honestly should take my advice more than, than I do, be the authentic version of yourself. It's really hard in entertainment because people want to put you in a box based on how you look, which I get, you know, it's an industry where you're on screen. Um, but for a long time, I I wasn't myself. I had, you know, and there's nothing wrong with what I'm about to describe. This is 
perfectly fine, but it just wasn't me. I had, you know, regular brown hair, long, plain. Um, I tried to, you know, dress down or to like essentially not look cute and be very plain. Um, and it was because I thought that I was going to get, ca- I was more castable as that. But I was like, f- eventually I was like, for what? Like for an imaginary job that doesn't even exist yet. And you're dressing a certain way or being a certain way or your physicality is a certain way because the job isn't even here yet. And I just, I mean, honestly, in like 2020, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to be all in me, who I am unapologetically. Um, I came out as a queer woman, as a pansexual woman. That's not something I had done prior to 2020. Uh, And jobs came and jobs will come and they'll go. But I feel a lot better being my authentic self in my day to day, whether it gets me a job or not, than I did before, even if it gave me a million jobs, um, because at the end of the day, you have to go to sleep with yourself. Uh, so I think just being the uh, first finding out who you are, because that's hard in and of itself. And then choosing to be that no matter what, I think that is really important in entertainment and just in the arts in general, creative spaces. I'm 43 years old and I'm still trying to figure out who I I am. It's not easy. It's not easy. And we put on, we, and the thing is, is like, I feel like people are like, you've changed or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, we put on and take off different things all the time because we're trying to, we evolve, we grow, hopefully as a person. I, I hope I don't stay the same person until I die. I want to change and grow. And it's okay to like, oh, I want to, I want to wear all black this season. I want to chop off my hair this season. I want to grow it out. It's like, it's okay to try these things on uh, and take them off if we need to. So yeah, I hope I'm constantly changing and evolving. I want to ask you real quick about fatherless behavior as honestly, <laughs> I have been in awe of some of your creations. Um, all my, <laughs> all my listeners, can you tell us about it and where to buy some of your art? Yeah, of course. Um, so that actually came about in COVID times as well. Uh, pre pandemic, I painted, let's see, I have a paint. I painted, uh, the listeners can't see it, but no. you can. Um, I, I was a water, I did watercolor. Um, I highly recommend it if you're looking to get into an art and you're like, but I'm not good at art. Watercolor is the one you should do. It's so cathartic uh, and therapeutic, but I was in quarantine and I was like, you know, I want to do art, but I'm tired of like spending money, honestly, to buy materials. Uh, I don't have any money. I don't have a job right now. Like what can I make um, that will not only help me in my budget, but also will help like the world. I don't want to create more waste. We already have enough as it is. Uh, so I started making things using just shit around my house, batteries, old nails, just stuff in my junk drawer. And I got around to the vitamin stash of shit. I'd never take anymore that you go to the doctor and they're like, you need more B12. And then you go buy B12, you take it for a week and then you don't take it anymore. I have like 10 bottles of that. Um, yeah, me too. yeah, exactly. Vitamin yeah. D, it's a popular one. Uh, <laughs> and um, as soon as I posted some featuring those pills, that's when someone was like, hey, can I buy that thing? Because I had never wanted to sell it. I was just doing it for me. And I was like, oh, fuck. I mean, yeah, if you want it, sure. Uh, and And that's how fatherless behavior became what it is. And the name comes from some asshole. I was on TikTok or something. Some asshole commented on uh, a beautiful woman who is doing a video. I don't even remember what the video was. It doesn't matter, though. He commented like that. This is fatherless behavior um, as like an insult. Like, you know, uh, what's the like daddy issues, that type of thing. And like, if anybody has daddy issues, it's me. And I wanted to take that phrase back because it can be positive. I'm a great, creative, wonderful intelligent person because of my upbringing. So I don't think that daddy issues or fatherless behavior needs to be a negative thing. So, uh, I wanted, yeah, I wanted to take that phrase back. So I was like, all right, it's fatherless behavior. Uh, can't be anything else. And since then it's just been really a joy to do. And I haven't done anything new lately because I've been so busy, but, uh, I have ideas. So new things will come about and I always take commissions and you can find it, um, on Instagram, fatherless behavior on Etsy. Um, those are probably the two best places on TikTok too. Uh, yeah. I spent too much money on Etsy. I know me too, <laughs> but at least we're supporting small businesses. You know, yeah. it's funny. Uh, every, I think it's since 
God, when did Hamilton come out? Ever since Hamilton came out, me and my wife have this kind of unspoken thing. Like, so every special occasion, Valentine's Day anniversary, I get her a card from Etsy that's, you know, a quote from Hamilton or The Office or something. Yeah. It, it just keeps it fresh and fun and I'm supporting small business. So I feel yeah. good at the end of the day. I love that. I love that tradition. Thank you. All right. So outside the podcast and follow this behavior, what's next for you? That's a great question. Uh, honestly, this is a really boring answer, but it's the truth. I am redoing my entire apartment and that is what I am focused on. I've just finished my the office space that's now set up for podcasts and uh, cell tapes and all that shit. And next is the living room that currently has nothing in it. Uh, so it's actually really cool though. It's a nice way to, um, express myself creatively that is outside of what I normally do. So that's like the first thing that's on my, on my radar. I also, uh, me and my writing partner have a pilot that we are shopping around. Uh, yeah. So it's actually less acting stuff and more, oh, I'm starting an, um, a new improv show that will hopefully be monthly, TBD on the details, but it's uh, it's going to be a good one. So yeah, I guess live comedy, doing my apartment and writing. That's what I'm up to. Do you um, record like we're doing now? Do you record by video? Do you have people come to your house and record? Uh, both. So oh. now that the office is usually it's via Zoom, um, it's just usually easier for people. But now that the, my office is like done and set up, uh, I'm going to have more people come if they want or if they feel safe to or, you know, all that stuff. Because um, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like a little like a little coffee tea time uh, hang. So, yeah, both. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So as we enter the final phase of this interview, I always like to ask one fun question. That is, when you aren't, you know, podcasting or being creative, what do you do for fun? What do you do to relax? Oh, my God. That's a Oh. The answer is not enough um, because nothing is coming to mind right now. Uh, I really like going into the desert. So I'm I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, it takes, you know, an hour and a half to two hours to get into the desert, Joshua Tree, Palm Springs. That is where I escape to. I absolutely love it. It's magical. If you haven't, if you get the chance ever to go to any sort of desert around you, I highly recommend it. Yeah. The desert last time I went, uh, microdose mushrooms, that's kind of fun, but you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> and then like, if I'm just in LA, I, I really like, uh, moving my body in a way that is pleasurable to me. I move to feel good about my mental health, um, less so about what I look like. Uh, so Pilates is really great for that. It's a really good mind body connection. If you're looking for a form of movement, that's gentle, but still hard. Pilates is great for that. I like going to movies. I like going to dinner. I'm, I'm an introvert, like I said, so I need time to unwind. So I guess my leisure activity would honestly just be being in my bed. I, I love it. If I, if I'm out at an event, I have to take three days after to recuperate from it. So yeah, bed, I'll throw a bed in there. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, when I was in the military, I was in San Diego and I lived there for five years. And just like you said, you know, you're, close enough to, if you want to call it the desert or the mountains, that you can get away from the hustle and bustle of the city and just kind of reconnect with, you know, the environment and what have you. I 100% agree. It's exactly what people need sometimes to just get out of the normal comfort zones and just do something new. Totally. And I saw this thing recently about grounding. I don't know if you've heard of this technique, but it's like where you're barefoot on the earth, um, preferably in like grass or dirt, like you can do like cement or whatever, but it's better if it's like in nature and how how that affects like your brain your serotonin levels all of that and it it's so crazy how uh rare we are barefoot in los angeles like i i asked a friend of mine i was like when's the last time you walked around barefoot outside in la and like i can't even remember so i think it's really important if you're in a city if you are privileged enough and have um the opportunity to get outside of your city and just walk around barefoot apparently it's great for your mental health so What's the place up uh, in the hills? Is, is it Runyon Canyon? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's Runyon. I, there's Griffith Park. Yeah. Yeah, I have friends of mine who who do uh, Runyon all the time. They say it's amazing up there. So yeah, it's really yeah. nice. So, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Um, so I'm doing like an overhaul of my social media in a good way. Uh, so it will be more fun to follow me in uh, <laughs> about one week. No, about four days when I launch this uh this new social media adventure. But um. I am, my handle is at it's Rebecca Lee. It's underscore Rebecca Lee. 
on Instagram and TikTok. Those are my places. Uh, I don't do Twitter because fuck Twitter, uh, unless you like it, in which case it's great. Uh, and then my Etsy's shop is just fatherless behavior. If you want to check that out. All right. So as much as I want to keep talking to you forever, <laughs> I end my interviews with my favorite question. Okay. And the question is this. Let's do it. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? Yeah, no pressure, right? Uh, no with no that pressure. question. <laughs> I would say that no matter what, no matter the job you have or don't have, the money you have or don't have, the followers you have or don't have, you are worthy. You are worthy in your purest form, just you alone in a room. You have so much worth and value and love. And I feel like we forget that because we place so much on achievements or finances or fame that we forget that we're valuable just as we are. And I see so many people get down and out when they don't get a job or when they get uh, they don't get cast or when their pilot gets passed up on. And I think if we spent more time um, with ourselves and knowing that we're worthy, those things will be less sad less hard because at the end of the day we can come back to ourselves and be like oh well on to the next one awesome rebecca i've been doing this show for nearly four years and i gotta say you're probably one of the most real people i've ever had the privilege of speaking to <laughs> do you say so, that do you tell everybody that no no for real <laughs> I, I so anyway i just want to say thank you honestly for taking the time to come on speak of with course. me best wishes for your continued success and honestly you're hands down one of the coolest people i've ever had on thank the show you. thank you of course. Thank you so much. And just like that, Devall Nation, we come to the end of episode 164. I want to thank Rebecca for taking the time out of her hectic schedule to come on the show today. What an absolute delight to speak with, and I hope she makes an appearance again on the show down the road. Rebecca, thanks again for coming on the show. That was a complete blast. Okay, tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. And we have everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you will be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening... Make sure you're drinking plenty of water out there. If you're living in the Northern Hemisphere, the days are getting super hot again, and I don't want any of Duval Nation passing out from heat exhaustion or dehydration. Nostar, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.